0: I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Psalm 42 and 43. Uh, If you are just joining us today, we are in the middle of a series of messages, praying with God's people, exploring the Psalms. The book of Psalms is a book of prayers, prayers of God's people, and uh, we will continue our exploration of these two Psalms this morning. Have you ever experienced complete and total darkness. No light at all. You, you, you cannot see anything. You, you can't even see your hand if you hold it up in front of your face. A number of years ago when I was in Bible college in Abbotsford, uh, I discovered on a mountain uh, an old mine tunnel, a mine shaft in I brought a few buddies who had never been there. I brought them there. We walked up uh, the mountain not too far into the trees and underbrush and, and found the entrance of it again. There's still tracks coming out of it and began leading them down there. Now, we had not planned ahead. Uh, I happened to have one flashlight in the car, and so I led the way, and the four of us walked down this this tunnel, this cave, and we went, we went far, and it, it bent around a curve, and, and pretty soon you look back and you couldn't see daylight. It was pitch black and uh, we walked a little further and then I clicked my light off. And it was so incredibly dark that you could hold your hand up, you could see nothing. I don't know if you've ever experienced that kind of darkness, it's actually a little bit unsettling. I remember my one buddy saying, "Den, turn your light on. I have lots of, I can hear his voice. Den, don't do that, Den, stop. Dan, slow down. Dan, turn your light back on. It was so incredibly dark, you could see nothing at all. That's an experience of physical darkness, but that's not the only kind of darkness that we as human beings experience. Uh, we use the term darkness to speak of, of other things things that we go through, when life is filled with pain, when we experience devastating loss, when everything is falling apart, when we are in despair, when we feel we can't go on, when we don't want to go on, we describe those times as times of darkness. This morning we are exploring a prayer in the Psalms. Let us pray in the darkness. The psalmist is not in a good place. He is in despair. We could say he is depressed. He is overwhelmed with the darkness. I would contend that this is an experience with which all of us can identify uh, this prayer is profoundly relevant to each and every one of us, whether you are a believer in Christ or not. We all know, we all experience seasons of darkness. We experience distress. We experience a depression. To be sure, some of us are more acquainted with such things than others. But every single one of us knows times of darkness. Live long enough and you will walk through dark valleys. Perhaps perhaps some here have just walked through a time of darkness. Maybe you are even now still in that time of darkness. Perhaps for some of us, that darkness is just on the horizon. We don't know, but we are about to walk into a time of despair and darkness. And so this prayer that we are exploring this morning is of profound importance and relevance for every one of us as human beings because this is part of our experience. Now regarding the Psalms, we're looking at Psalm 42 and 43. Tim Keller asserts this, that walking through this prayer in the darkness is in a sense putting each one of us on the therapist's couch. We are going to explore this. We're going to learn about our experience. We're going to learn not how to avoid the darkness, not how to never experience the darkness. We're going to learn from this prayer, as we learn to pray, we're going to learn how to walk through the darkness. Now, just before I read the text to you, to this point in this series, we have explored a psalm at a time. One psalm. One prayer at a time. This morning, we are looking at two, Psalm 42 and 43. What I want to say is that Psalm 42 and Psalm 43 belong together. They are a unit. Now, there are some scholars who believe that at one point in time, these actually were a single psalm, and that it's for some reason, at some point, they were split up. We actually have some ancient Hebrew manuscripts that have them together, um, uh, there's another clue. If you look at our text, not every psalm has a superscription above it, but, but most in, this is book two of the psalms. Remember, the psalms are divided into five books. Uh, psalm 42 has a superscription, and most of the ones through this second book have superscriptions, but Psalm 43 doesn't, so it, it's sometimes referred to as an orphan psalm. But the biggest clue that says that these two belong together is the refrain. There is a refrain that we encounter twice in Psalm 42 and exactly word for word at the end of Psalm 43. And so whether they were ever one or whether they have always been two, what is clear is that they are a unit together. And so we're going to look at them together because together Psalm 42 and Psalm 43 are one prayer. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to follow along as I read Psalm 42 through to the end of Psalm 43. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with him? My tears have been my food day and night. While people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one. With shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep. In the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day the Lord directs his love. At night his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior, my Savior. And my God. Vindicate me, my God, and plead my cause against an unfaithful nation. Rescue me from those who are deceitful and wicked. You are God, my stronghold. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? Send me your light and your faithful care. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God, my joy and my delight. I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. I want to walk through this with you, and we are going to explore this uh, in three ways, and I lean on Tim Keller for this. Uh, We are going to first look at the condition that is described. What the psalmist is experiencing, what he's going through. Secondly, we're going to look at the causes that are delineated, and then third, the cure that is demonstrated. So the conditions, the causes, and the cure. As we begin, I want to note a few things for you. We don't know specifically who composed this prayer, nor do we know the particulars of that individual's uh, situation, but there's one thing that can be said. The superscript for Psalm 42, and I would say Psalm 43, says that this is a psalm of the sons of Korah. Now you might recall uh, Korah was a leader, a community leader uh, among the Hebrews. He was a Levite, that is part of the priestly tribe, and he led a rebellion in the wilderness against Moses and Aaron. Uh, and as a result of that rebellion, Korah and 250 other community leaders were killed by God in an act of judgment. This psalm and a number of psalms in book two are of the sons of Korah. These are, are descendants of Korah, Levites. They are dedicated, we know, to sacred music. That is, they lead God's people uh, at the temple in worship. They're involved in worship leading. These are worship leaders, those writing music, leading music, worship of Yahweh. Now beyond that, however, we cannot say anything definitive about this individual who composed this, uh, about his historical or biographical situation. Uh, let's turn now and look at the prayer. Uh, the first thing I want you to note, the first thing we're going to look at is the first part of the refrain. I said three times there is this this refrain that is repeated word for word, and it begins this way. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? The the psalmist is downcast. He is disturbed. Repeated three times throughout this prayer. The word downcast is a strong word. It, It means to fall, to collapse, to crumple, to dissolve. The psalmist is not just feeling a bit down, not just feeling a little bit blue. The psalmist is at the end of his rope. He is despondent. He is crumbling under whatever he is experiencing. He is in complete despair. He is depressed. He has nothing left. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Now there's something really important for us to recognize at this point. I said in my opening comments that uh, the experience described here by the psalmist in this prayer is a shared experience that we all experience times, seasons of darkness, uh, experiences of uh, seasons of despair. We, we all know what it is to feel depressed. And what I want to highlight for you is that not only does this, this happens to everyone, not just to those who are not followers of Jesus. This happens to those who are followers of Jesus, even to those who are mature followers of Jesus. Uh, We need to look no further than just the biblical story itself. Think of Elijah in 1 Kings we read about Elijah the prophet of God and this great confrontation with the prophets of Baal. 450 prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. And and all day long they they set an altar and they cry out to Baal and and Baal does nothing. And then Elijah builds an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, and he he puts a sacrifice on it. And they have a, a ditch dug around it and they soak it with water. And he cries out to God and God answers and sends fire that consumes the sacrifice, consumes the altar, licks up all the water. This mighty display of God's power. And the prophets of Baal are put to death. And then Queen Jezebel is enraged and she plots, she says that she is going to kill Elijah. And he runs and he falls into a deep, deep depression to despair. He he prays. He he wants to die. He says, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. Not only Elijah, but we see this in Moses. Moses leads the people. God leads his people out of slavery in Egypt and into the wilderness under Moses' leadership. And he, at one point, is so overwhelmed and despairing of life, he asks God to kill him. He says, if this is how you're going to treat me, please go ahead and kill me. We look at the story of Jonah, Jonah the prophet, reluctantly goes and preaches to Nineveh. And and the most amazing response for a preacher to see is a whole city respond to the message, except Jonah's upset about it. And he despairs even of life, and he says, Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. These are men of God. These are maybe spiritual giants, we would think. Elijah, Moses, even Jonah. Jonah prophet of the Lord. And they despair even of life. It's interesting to note that though all three of them wanted to die in these seasons, none of them, they all realized that their life was not theirs to take. But they all despaired of life. They were all overwhelmed by darkness. Martin Lloyd-Jones, an influential Protestant minister from Wales, wrote a number of books over his years of ministry, and his most popular book is a book on depression. Uh, Here's what one scholar writes about it. The only conceivable reason it has been so popular is not that the subject itself is attractive, but that so many people, including Christians, are depressed and looking for solutions. Boyce continues, "...we are all depressed at times." We get down in the dumps. We sing the blues. We feel that God has forgotten us and that we will never be able to get on track with God again. It is a condition the old mystics accurately labeled the dark night of the soul. It is vital, I want you all to hear this, that that what the psalmist is experiencing is something that is common to all of us as human beings. We all experience times of darkness Times where we feel depressed, where we despair. Now, what I want you to notice here is how the psalmist describes what he is feeling. He employs a simile. He speaks of the thirst of a deer. The psalm opens with these words, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. Tremper Longman makes this important point. He says, the image is not the sentiment of a person who has a satisfying relationship with God that he wants to go deeper, but it is an expression of exasperation by someone who feels abandoned by God. We sing, at least some of us, if we've been around long enough, sing a chorus. You know, as the deer pants for. I won't sing it for you. And we sing it, you know, we want to grow deeper with God. And that's a good sentiment, but that's not what's going on here. This isn't isn't the image of a sentimental person who has a satisfying relationship with God that he wants to go deeper. That She wants to go deeper. But rather it is an expression of exasperation by someone who feels abandoned by God. The psalmist is feeling intensely the absence of God. God seems silent. God seems far away. God does not seem, he does not feel real to him. And the psalmist is desperate, desperate. I thirst for you, God. I long for you, God. We probably, I'm sure, all experienced moments where we have been thirsty. I know, as a father, uh, often I've heard my kids, you know, I'm starving. I'm thirsty. Like, but I wonder, have any of us actually experienced this kind of thirst? Because this isn't like, okay, I, I really could use a drink. This is, this is desperation. This is, you know, images of, of drought. Here's, here's how Joel the prophet writes. He says, even the wild animals pant for you. The streams of water have dried up, and fire has devoured the pastures in the wilderness. There's no water, and... and There's a desperation. Here's how Jeremiah writes about it. This is the word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah concerning the drought. Judah mourns. Her cities languish. They wail for the land, and a cry goes up from Jerusalem. The nobles send their servants for water. They go to the cisterns, but find no water. They return with their jars, unfilled, dismayed, and despairing. They cover their heads. The ground is cracked because there's no rain in the land. The farmers are dismayed and cover their heads. Even the doe in the field deserts her newborn fawn because there's no grass. Wild donkeys stand on the barren heights and pant like jackals. Their eyes fail for lack of food. It's this desperate dryness. Not like you can go inside and get a drink because you're thirsty. You're thirsty and there's nothing. There's no water. That's what the psalmist is saying. I thirst for you. I long for you. Lord, I am desperate for you. Without water, a deer will die. Without water, an animal will die. Without water, you and I will die. There can be a point where our thirst grows so great, and I know I haven't experienced this, so great that we are absolutely, completely desperate for a drop. The psalmist is saying, without God, he will die. He thirsts, he longs, he is desperate. Derek Kidner says, the soul cannot survive without God. Many in our world today, perhaps even many of us, fail to truly grasp fully this truth, that that we were made not only by God, but we were created for God, to live in intimate fellowship with God, to know His love and to love Him, to to worship Him and be filled with joy and delight in Him, to be conformed into His image, to reflect what He is like in the world. We, We were created for intimacy with Him, for intimate fellowship with Him. The psalmist knows that that is true, and yet the one he so desperately needs... It feels to him, has abandoned him. He's distant. He's absent. And the psalmist is thirsting, panting, longing desperately for God. Tim Keller makes an interesting point that sometimes this kind of experience arises out of different circumstances. Sometimes that sense of God's distance arises because of our guilt, because of our sin. Psalm 32, David says this, when I kept silence, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. He speaks of God's hand being heavy upon him and, and just, just being overwhelmed with despair. But in that case, it's because of his guilt, because of his sin. Other times, it's because of tragedy that we've gone through. We suffer some horrible tragedy and we feel God, God is, is far away. We feel abandoned. But I want you to notice that in this prayer, neither of those things is the case. There's no guilt here. There's no tragedy here, yet we feel, the psalmist feels the absence of God. And so what I want us to hear is that that this is a common experience for all people, Christian or non-Christian. And so even as Christians, we can experience this, this sense of God being far from us, this sense of God's absence, His abandonment. We can find ourselves thirsting for God. Like a deer needs water. The psalmist needs God. He knows that, and he feels it intensely. I want us to turn now from the conditions, this condition of thirst, to the causes for this thirst. Let me remind you what I said earlier. We, we don't know, we can't say definitively uh, much about the historical or biographical context, situation of, uh, that, that lie behind this prayer. But there are some things that we can discern from our text, and that is true when it comes to the causes for the psalmist's despair, his depression. A quick word, uh, the things that stand as the cause for his depression, his distress, uh, this is not a, a limited list. I mean, this is a limited list in the psalm, and what I'm going to talk about is limited, but this list uh, it is not exhaustive there are many other things that can contri- contribute to this but this will begin to help us think through some of those causes and then I want to conclude by looking at the root cause to which we'll, we'll get to shortly perhaps the first clue to what's going on is becomes evident in verse 4 there the psalmist says, These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. The psalmist recalls times of going to the temple and worshiping God with the festive throng that is with God's people. I, I don't know what your experiences are. One of the things that I miss deeply, have missed deeply through these last 16 months is being together shoulder to shoulder and lifting my voice in song to you. I I so look forward to that. And it looks like, by God's grace, that will come soon. But there are a few moments in my life where where I can recall just rich, rich moments of worship. One is, is almost 30 years ago. I was a young pastor. I had traveled to Winnipeg for the Canadian MB convention. Real exciting, I know. We were at MBBC at the time in the chapel. Not a terribly big room, but it was packed with church leaders and members of MB churches from across Canada. And, and I remember singing. One of, some of you will know this. MBs, at least historically, have been known for their singing, particularly four-part harmony. And I remember being gathered there. I was a young pastor. It was my first convention. And we sang It Is Well With My Soul. And I remember that room was acoustically amazing. I remember hearing the four-part harmony. I remember being so overwhelmed by the presence of God in that moment of worshiping Him. Nearly 30 years later, that is still a recollection I have. The, The psalmist remembers worshiping with a festive throng at God's temple. So what's clear is that He's not there anymore. He's been something has happened. And look at verse six gives us a clue. It says, Therefore I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, Mount Mazar. Now we don't know where Mount Mazar is, but Hermon is, is a mountain range at the far north end of Israel. So the the psalmist has for some reason he's been displaced. He's moved. He's relocated and he is His rhythms of worship in Christian community have been interrupted. He's displaced. He's far from the place of worship that is, in Israel's understanding, God dwelt in the temple that was the place of God's presence. He's been moved. He's displaced from that place. And he's far from those with whom he worshipped, the festive throng. And he feels intensely the loss. That is one of the contributing factors to his depression, his distress, his... Being overwhelmed by darkness. This makes a lot of sense here, and I imagine that there are many here who can identify with this kind of experience. Maybe, maybe you went off to Bible college and had a great year. You you grew in your relationship with God. You, You were poured into. You studied the Word. You learned things. You you developed Christian friendships. You you worshiped together. Maybe you went to summer camp and and you, you were a camper, or you were on staff, and you, you connected with people, and you, you were poured into from the Word, and you worshiped together, and you prayed, and you just had such a good spiritual experience. You, you grew, and you sensed the nearness of God, and then you went home to your family, and somehow God seemed less real. That's what the psalmist is saying here. That's what he's describing. That's part of his experience. And why does that happen? Well, Tim Keller suggests that it happens because a lot of times, especially early in our Christian lives, but a lot of times our relationship with God is experienced partly uh, secondhand. He writes this, "We, we tend to experience God through others, who experience God more than we would think God seems real when I'm with people for whom God seems real and so what, what do we do what, what do we need to how do we respond to that reality well we, we need to we need to develop our own prayer life which can be hard we need to nurture our own Christian thought life we need to we need to go through experiences in life with God when We get through them and we realize God was with me through that. I mean, partly it just takes time to grow in that relationship. A second cause that we discover in this prayer is the taunting of enemies. Verse 10 reads, My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, Where is your God? Those around the psalmist, his enemies, are taunting him. It's not enough for them that he's already down, that he's discouraged, that he's distressed, overwhelmed with depression. Now they they mock him. Where's your God? Why isn't your God with you? Why isn't your God helping you? And that wears on him. And that's likely an experience that, again, many of us can identify with. I think particularly of students, so it wouldn't be limited to you, but students, you go to school day after day, in an environment that rejects Christ, in an environment that likely makes fun of those people of faith, those who would hold to a Christian worldview and a biblical ethic. And there can be mocking. People can think your faith is ridiculous at best. Perhaps even for others of us in our places of work, in our neighborhoods, our, our neighbors look at us and go, "Where is your God? Look at this! Look at this suffering going on in your life! Look at these bad things! Where is your God? What good does your faith do?" There's this taunting, and that can wear on us. It wears on the psalmist. His enemies taunt. Third cause, more general and less, uh, more general than specific, is just simply the trials of life. Verse seven, the psalmist speaks it says this deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls all your waves and breakers have swept over me these images communicate the overwhelming troubles of life have you ever felt yourself in life in a point where it's just one thing after another after another after another and you are so beaten down you're just getting pummeled and it's like it's like the breakers of the ocean it just keeps coming it just doesn't stop there's no reprieve pain Suffering, darkness, trial, trouble. Another cause, no doubt, I think in this case, not the original cause, but a contributing factor for the psalmist is revealed back in verse 3. The psalmist says that his tears have been his food day and night. What does that mean? His tears have been his food. Well, it means two things it means one, that he's not eating, all he's eating is tears. And day and night. He, he's saying that he's crying all the time. He's, he's not sleeping. He's not eating. He's just crying. In other words, what I want to point out to you is that there are physical conditions that factor into his despair. Uh, Martin Lloyd Jones, I spoke about already, Dr. Martin Lloyd Jones, some of you may know this, but for those who don't, he, he was a doctor, not a PhD, but an MD. Martin Lloyd-Jones was a medical doctor, trained, highly trained, highly successful, who shocked many people when he left medicine to become a preacher. And so, uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, a a trained physician who became a preacher, says this uh, about this text. Physical conditions play their part in all of this. It's difficult to draw lines here, but some physical conditions promote depression. There are some in whose cases it is clear to me that the cause of their depression is mainly physical. On the other hand, when you are physically weak, you are more prone to attacks of spiritual discouragement and depression. If you recognize that the physical may be partly responsible for the spiritual condition and make allowances for this, you will be better able to deal with the spiritual issues. We need to understand and Certainly, this is true for us as Christians. I think everyone needs to understand. But as Christians, we need to understand that we are complex creatures. That is, we are not only spiritual beings, we are not only moral beings, we are not only emotional beings. We're all those things, and we are physical beings. And when it comes to depression, sometimes the church, evangelicals, have utterly failed to respond well in the light of this complexity someone is depressed, someone is discouraged, someone is overwhelmed with darkness, and uh, a Keller sarcastically quips this. Uh, sometimes Christians will say, well, have you prayed in faith, confessed all known sin, claimed the promises, rebuked the devil, pleaded the blood, thank God for your blessings? If you do all these things, everything will be okay. Except it's not. Because we're not only spiritual beings, we are physical beings, we are emotional beings, we are moral beings. There, there is a complexity that needs to be accounted for. And here the psalmist says that tears have been his food day and night. He is, he is not sleeping, he is not eating, and, and that will impact him. That is impacting him. We need a holistic view. It's really interesting if you go back to 1 Kings 19, the story of Elijah that I talked about earlier. Elijah is depressed. He wants to die. He runs off, falls asleep, and God sends an angel. And you know what the angel does? He cooks him lunch. He makes him a meal. Kind of curious, what did he make him? Right? He he, he prepares food and he wakes him up and says, here, you need to eat. And, And so we need to understand, we need to think holistically. There are a number of factors, including physiological factors. If you're not sleeping, if you're not eating right, if you're not exercising right, that will impact you. Even nutrition, just a funny story. When we were making one of our trips as a family from B.C. back home to Edmonton, I remember uh, christine has had celiac disease since I met her. Our boys hadn't been diagnosed yet, the two that have joined her in that. And we were driving home, and and it it was a little tougher to find food for Chris in those days, and so sometimes she would just have a bag of corn chips while we would eat McDonald's or Wendy's or, sorry, speaking of nutrition. Um. But I remember one of those times my boys begged me, they were much younger at the time, they said, well, Dad, can we just have chips for supper, too, or lunch, whatever it was along the way, and uh, wisdom eluded me, and I said, sure. And so everyone picked their favorite bag of chips, got in the van, and They like devoured each their own bag, and and before long, all of a sudden they're like, oh daddy, I don't feel good. (laughs) And we're at Edson, we got a couple more hours. Right? Like, we are complex beings. There are physiological things that factor into how we feel. It's not only Christians who can sometimes get this wrong and over spiritualize it. Our world gets this wrong often too, and say, Oh, it's it's just brain chemistry, take a pill. Or it's just self-esteem. Just, just be who you are and be affirmed. And so we turn to these short-sighted attempts to deal with this. We don't look at all the causes, all the contributing factors. Some of you may remember the TV show Family Ties. The, the one daughter, Mallory. This is going back to the 80s probably. When she was depressed, she, she always said this, when, when I get depressed, I go shopping. I want to say clearly that shopping won't work. Success in your career won't work. Academic excellence won't work. Fame won't work. Getting married, having kids, none of those things will, will work. Money won't work to fix this. Nothing this world offers will take away the darkness. Nothing this world offers will prevent you from going through seasons of despair. And that's why, this is why we get to the cause that is behind underneath every other cause of distress, of depression, of the darkness. And as i already said, every person, whether you are a follower of Christ or not, everyone, whether you recognize this or not, you were made for intimacy with God. And because of sin, because of your sin and the sins of others, Our world is not the way it's supposed to be. We live in a world that is broken. We live in a world that is full of of darkness. We live in a world that can never take this experience away from us. C.S. Lewis writes this, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. If we seek to find satisfaction, if we seek to avoid darkness by by looking to things in this world, if if we seek wholeness horizontally in created things rather than in the Creator, we will fail to find what we're looking for. Creation is good. God's creation is good. It's so good. But it is not ultimate. Creation stands as a sign pointing us to the Creator, the one for whom we were made, the one in whom alone we will find satisfaction, the one for whom we thirst. Let's turn now thirdly to the cure. How do we deal with this darkness? How do we deal with depression, with this overwhelming distress and despondency that we experience? We've looked at the condition, that is, this experience of darkness, distress, depression. We've looked at the causes. There are various causes, but ultimately it's that we were created for God. We need intimacy with God to be satisfied, to find rest. What's the cure? I want to make two points. The first thing I want you to note is that the psalmist prays. You notice that? The psalmist prays in the midst of his experience of darkness, in the face of the reality that God feels completely absent, in the the face of the reality that God doesn't even seem real to him right now, he still prays. He, He cries out to God, to the God who doesn't seem real, to the God who is absent, the God who it feels like has abandoned him. He prays nonetheless. And that is really significant. The first part of the cure, if you will, the first part of the way forward is praying, even when you don't feel like praying. Crying out to God. Uh, The psalmist says, He pours out your soul to God. Talking to Him. If you're hurting, tell God you're hurting. If you're angry, tell God you're angry. If you're struggling, tell God you're struggling. If you're scared, tell him you're scared. Whatever you are feeling, whatever you are going through, whatever you are struggling with, tell him, pour out your heart to God, even when you don't feel like it. Yes, it's hard to do. The spirit of God can enable us to do hard things and it's so critical. We see the psalmist doing precisely this, praying, praying when God feels far away, praying in the midst of His darkness. Second thing, and this may sound strange, maybe even funny, but we need to talk to ourselves. I remember when Chrislene and I were just married? We were driving. It was at nighttime, and Chrislene would often not feel well. And so she had put her seat back, and had disappeared from sight. Um, And this, just for the benefit of those who grew up with cell phones and Bluetooth, this was before all of that. And so people didn't talk on cell phones or talk through Bluetooth. And so I remember pulling up to a red light, and I I can be a little bit animated, you know that when I talk, you use hands and be a little bit uh, active. And I was engaged in a conversation with Christine, quite actively, quite animatedly, and two girls drove up next to me in a car and they looked over and they thought, wow, this guy is a loon. And I tried to point out that someone was there, but Christine never bailed me out. She stayed down. They thought they were next to this man who's just talking to himself, this crazy guy. Let's get away as soon as the light turns green, quickly. The way forward is praying when we don't feel like praying and talking to ourselves. Look with me at the refrain again three times. Why, my soul, are you downcast? The psalmist is talking to himself. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. He speaks to himself three times. He says, put your hope in God. Why so downcast? Why so disturbed? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. The psalmist talks to himself. He proclaims this to himself put your hope in God. In the midst of the darkness, we all have an inner dialogue. And it is wise to listen to what's going on in your heart, to ask yourself, what am I feeling? What am I thinking? What's going on in my heart? But we must not only listen to ourselves, we must learn to talk to ourselves, to, to speak to ourselves, to, to look at what we need to hear, what is true. Look at what he says. Put your hope in God. Put your hope in God. Though God feels distant, though it feels like God has abandoned you, though... though Oh, you are so depressed and distressed and overwhelmed with the darkness. Put your hope in God. He proclaims that to Himself three times. He tells Himself what He needs to hear. He he tells Himself what He needs to do. He, He needs to hope in God in the midst of the darkness. When we feel abandoned when we struggle to feel like God is real to us, when it feels like God is absent, we need to remember the cross. We need to to remember and remind ourselves of the cross. That, That on the cross, Jesus experienced abandonment. That, that He experienced that for us. That on the cross, Jesus cried out, I thirst. And certainly that was physical, but it's more than that. Jesus, who through all eternity had known only intimacy, closeness with His Father, on the cross, as Jesus suffers the penalty that your sins and my sins, that we deserve for what we have done for our rebellion. Jesus willingly comes from heaven and suffers in our place, paying the penalty and as He hangs on the cross, the Father, through, with whom He's known only intimacy, turns away. And Christ cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus experienced abandonment for us. Jesus thirsted for us. And so this doesn't take away the darkness this, this is not some formula by which, hey, you'll never experience depression. You'll never feel distress You'll never be overwhelmed with, with just distress and, and, and not even want to live. I cannot. The Bible doesn't tell us we won't experience that. It tells us what to do when we do. And we are to cry out to Christ. We are to continue to pray. And we need to speak to ourselves. We need to speak the truths of the Gospel. We need to remember the cross. We need to say, self, look at the cross. Look at what Christ did. Christ was abandoned for you. Christ thirsted for you so that you could be brought into a relationship with the one for whom you were made. We need to do this, not just when we're feeling the darkness. We need to do this daily. Proclaiming the truth about God about His redemptive work through Christ. We need to preach the Gospel to ourselves. That God loves you. That God gave His Son for you, that Jesus willingly, gladly went to the cross for you, that through faith in Him, you are forgiven, you are washed, you are cleansed, that through faith in Him, you are clothed with His perfection, that the Father looks at you and sees a ho- uh, holy uh, child of His, that, that you are His beloved, that you were adopted and accepted. And that one day, Christ will return and bring His redemption to its final end and we will dwell in His presence forever. And there will be no more darkness. In this world, in our lives, we will walk through times of darkness, being downcast, collapsing, crumpling, falling because of the weight of what we're going through. We will experience distress and despondency. We will be dissolved. There will be times when God feels unreal to you, where He feels distant to you, where He feels absent, where it feels like you have been abandoned. This prayer shows us the way forward. This prayer teaches us how to walk through the darkness So that, like the psalmist, we can say, yet I will praise you. Yet I will praise you. That we would be women and men who pray even in the darkness. That we would be women and men who proclaim the truths of the gospel even when God feels far away. And that we would, with the psalmist, say, yet I will praise him, my Savior and my God. Amen.